Okay, I'm going to hand over to, to Joe this morning. As I say, Joe is from Aaron Church, um, and he's one of the leaders there. He also heads up Links International, um, which I'm sure you'll hear a bit more about um, this morning. Joe is... Um, Oh, he's just incredible. He's just full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and his gifts um, are just going to be yeah, a blessing to us this morning. And we pray that we can be a blessing to you and to your boys, who are Luca and Seth. Guys, you're so welcome. Thank you for coming all this way to be with us. Really appreciate it. Um, so I'll hand over to you, Joe. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Do you mind if I take this off? I don't find it very easy to stand still, for anybody who knows me well. So I'm like, if, uh, when, over the pandemic, when I've had to do things, oh, so, look, I've already messed everything up. I'm so sorry. I had to like do things in front of a Zoom camera. I'm like kind of like moving around, <laughs> almost getting out of camera shot. But it's so great to be with you guys and to actually be able to gather and be face to face. Isn't it amazing? So good. And to not and, and to be unmasked as well. I mean, I really feel like God is saying that the masks are coming off. The masks are coming off of his church. And we're gonna be in a place where we can actually like see face to face in a whole new way. I don't know about you, but I am so, so glad that in these uncertain times, in these times where it feels chaotic and where it feels like so much is changing and there's storms around us in all kinds of different ways that we have a rock on which we stand that cannot be shaken we have a name that is above every other name we have a God who when he arises he scatters his enemies before him that's the God that we serve and when we gather together like this and when we lift up the name of Jesus we are declaring to the heavenlies that we are not afraid that we are not backing down and that we believe in a God who sees things eternally so no matter what is going on right now God has not fallen off of his throne. God is at work right now. And I believe that we are, uh, I believe that we are on the edge. We are on the border of something absolutely amazing. So I, I am going to talk about uh, mission and I want to talk about this stuff. But I just, is it, is it okay if I just share some stuff prophetically just quickly with you guys? I just really, um, I just feel really stirred up. I, I began this year. Uh, as I as I always do between Christmas and New Year, just praying and saying, God, what do you want to do? What what is it that what is what is it that 2022 is going to be all about? And I really felt God speak to me and um, and say to me, you know, it's no accident that there are three twos in. The, and it was it was Tuesday, wasn't it? This week just gone by that there were these there are three twos and two in Jewish thinking. You know how every number has a significance in Jewish thinking, and two is the number of uh, of conclusion and resolution, basically. So, and, and it's also like the number for multiplication. So, on the second day of creation, God defines what He did on the first day of creation. On the fourth day of creation, He defines what He did on the third day of creation. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is a definition of Genesis chapter 1. And you see this all the way through the scriptures, right? So in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, uh, a lot of Jewish poetry is in couplets where the second part brings definition to the first part. And I felt like God saying we're about to step into a season where we're going to come into a place of clarity and definition for the chaos that we've just been through. For just the, uh, the, like, I'm sure many of you are still reeling and feeling like, what on earth was that all about? And I know it's not like we're out of the woods yet, but I think... God is going to bring us to a place this year where we're going to have aha moments. We're going to be like, oh, okay, now I get it. I get why I had to go through that. I get why that happened, however painful it might have been. And I just really feel as well that, um, that 
You, you know, like how in a play or in a movie, the second act, the second half is where conflict and resolution come together, right? And I just feel like for, for many of us here and in the UK church, many people who feel like I'm in the second part of my story and, you know, things are only going to go downhill from here. I feel like God would say, no, 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 no. Your best days are still ahead of you. I've still got greater things for you. Uh, Where you thought that you were coming to an end, you're only just beginning. You're just stepping into the second act. You're just stepping into the second half of your adventure. So I just want to release that over some people here. I feel like for some people who feel like they're in kind of middle age or they're in that part of their life. I feel like God, like 40 and above, I feel like God's saying that he's a, you are about to step into what you always dreamed that you were going to step into before. So don't give up. You are on the border of your greatest blessing. And um, this year, obviously, though, so, so it's, we consider it 2022. But in the Jewish calendar, it's the year 5,782. Now, why does that matter? Well, you know how much I love to geek out on all of the Jewish stuff and um, really kind of go into my roots with, with all of that. But in Hebrew, every word has a number that corresponds with it. Okay, so every, every single um, letter has a, a, a a number that corresponds with it as well. So this is the year 5,782. 5,782 in Hebrew essentially kind of spells out the house that is both a sword and a weapon. A house that is both a sword and a weapon. That's basically what those numbers mean, okay? But 5,782, the word that corresponds with 5,782 in Hebrew, does anybody want to hazard a guess at what that word uh, might be? No? (laughs) The word that corresponds with that is the word awaken. Is the word awaken. And I believe that God is saying the house that is both a weapon in God's hands and a mouthpiece to the nations is about to awaken. And that house is the church. It's you and I, the body of Christ. We are the weapon in God's hands. We are the mouthpiece that needs to speak out that message of hope that is an anchor to the soul. We need to open up our mouths in this time where all kinds of nonsense is being spoken about. We need to stand up and be the sword of the Spirit and bring life into dark places and I believe that that awakening is happening even right now and we've been experiencing in Aaron where it's felt like there's pockets of awakening even within our meetings but then there's there's at the same time as that there's incredible lethargy and apathy and I just want to go and I just want to shake people and say come on it's time to wake up I had this uh, in my prayer time I was just uh, praying and I felt like I saw in my spirit you know in the Chronicles of Narnia the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe Aslan has like uh, resurrected and he goes into the Queen's Palace and he goes where all of the statues are and he begins to breathe on them and these statues begin to come back to life and I believe that God is moving and bringing a thawing to the this time where it's kind of just felt like we've just been in a holding pattern we've just been in limbo have you, have you felt like that? He felt like that. I just really believe that the breath of God, even this morning, is here and he's breathing and he's saying, come on, it's time to wake up. And just like Charles was saying, you know, I just think you guys, do you realise how unique it is that you have almost, I guess, what, 90% of the church have been through the prayer room This and no shame on anybody that couldn't make it, you know. Everybody, that is incredible. That's absolutely amazing. And God hears your prayers. God responds to our hunger. So keep going, guys. Keep going because I believe that 
we're going to see some amazing things this year. I genuinely believe that we are on the edge of the next great awakening. I feel it in my bones and I feel the spirit of God right now. And we need to be crying out. We need to be crying out. We need to be contending for this because the enemy is going to fight back as well. This finally, deep breath, I'm, I'm coming to the end of like this prophetic bit, but um, this year is also what they call uh, a Shemitah year in Hebrew, the seven-year cycle where you're supposed to leave the, the, um, the fields fallow. And it's all, about, it's all about believing in God and trusting in God. And I really, every Shemitah year, historically, there's been some level of economic turmoil and world crisis of some kind. It's no accident that what we're seeing right now beginning to erupt in and escalate in Eastern Europe is happening. And we need to be prepared for that. We need to be praying into it. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I believe that in the same way as when the plagues came and there was, you know, there was, when there was thick darkness everywhere else, there was still light in Goshen. There was still light in those places. When deep darkness covers the land, that's the time where you know Isaiah says arise and shine because your light has come light shines the strongest in dark places Luca probably won't remember this but when we lived in Colombia um, we got him as a birthday present for one of one of his birthdays we got him a um, like a, a torch with these kind of filters that you could put on the torch and you know when you shine shine it, it would have like a kind of like um like big bugs or something would kind of appear on the light. And he's like, it doesn't work, Dad. And I was like, no, 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 come with me. And I took him to this little area under the stairs where it was really dark, switched it on then, and there it shone really bright. Why? Because light is supposed to shine in dark places. When it is difficult, when it is dark, when it looks hopeless, that is our moment of glory. That is our moment when we can show the world that we have something that goes beyond the, the things that, that most of the world just put their hope in, that is just sinking sand. We have a hope that goes beyond all of that. So, so yeah, so amazing. It's time to awaken, church. So God, we just thank you. We just thank you, Lord, that you're with us. We thank you that you're here today. We thank you that what we're talking about today is so, so close to your heart. You so loved the world that you gave. You gave your son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You love this world, Lord God. Every single speck of the cosmos was affected when your blood dripped into the dust on that day on Calvary. And God, you call us to advance that mission and advance that movement to the ends of the earth. And so God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear what your spirit would have to say to us this morning, Lord, and that you would stir us up and challenge us to the core of our being. We do not want to leave this place the same as the way we came in. God, we do not want just information. We want revelation, God. We want, we want to hear you speak because when you speak, everything changes. So the entrance of your word brings light. So God, we just say we're here. We want to hear you. So please speak to us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So yes, way practicing resurrection, practicing resurrection. I love it. We're studying at the moment in Aaron. We're looking at when Jesus sends his disciples out and he, he sends them out and he gives them. It's, it's such an easy job, really. He says, go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, freely you've received, freely, freely give. And so he gives them this really easy mission, right? You know, it's simple stuff. And um, I love this idea of raising the dead. I remember as a kid, uh, tragically, one 
one of our pet cats um, died on the road opposite. And it was my first experience of trying to raise the dead. And I prayed and I cried out and I was like, God, please raise our cat. Our cat's name was Pepper from the dead and nothing happened. I was heartbroken. That was my first try. And uh, ever since I've been trying and as yet, you know, I'm still, I've still not seen it, but I will. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on believing and one day I will see uh, the dead rays. But I believe that God's speaking about something that goes far beyond just whether or not we see uh, our cats resurrected when we pray for them. I believe that God is talking about the fact that we are called to step into dead places and to see dead things come back to life. And we get the opportunity to practice this. We believe that there is a day coming, don't we, where everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to come back to its original design. And we live somewhere in between D-Day and V-E-Day. You know, uh, the moment when the Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy, histor- historians say that was the moment that the war was over. As far as, as, far as Hitler and, and his axis of power was concerned, there was no way that they were going to be able to recover from the attack in that moment. But there was still almost a year of reclaiming territory before the war ever ended. When Jesus bled and died on the cross, when he went into hell and spoiled principalities and powers and might and dominion, there was no way that the enemy was going to get over that headache in that moment. That that was the end of the battle as far as the heavenlies were concerned. But now we live in a time where we are called to occupy and to take back everything that the enemy has stolen. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We often quote that wrong and we say the lost, but it's everything that was lost, everything that got affected when we turned our back on God and said, you know what, we don't want to do it your way, we're going to do it our way. Everything that broke in that moment, Jesus came to bring it back again to its original place. So I have the amazing privilege of leading an organisation called Lynx International. I'll share a little bit more with you about that, but... um, I wonder if we could just jump to, let me just sort myself out here, to the video. Could we just go on that quickly? How will you change the world? We believe that this isn't something that's just for the select few. It's not something that's just for like some people who feel called to go out to eat a, uh, to, to um, outer Mongolia to do something. This is something that is for all of us. Jesus has called all of us to impact our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. For me, uh, many of you know my story in my teen, very dark, difficult place, and um, and. Jesus rescued me, turned my life around. Is I managed Coast City with my dad. For what I was doing, um, I was doing history A-level and I was doing drama A-level, right? And so I was like, well, I'll be able to study history when I'm there and, I'll be a- and, and English Lit. And I was like, and I'll be able to um, do street theatre. And it was all like, it was with Youth for the Mission. So there was like loads of kind of street theatre stuff that we did. And I went out to Mexico with my dad. I'd never seen poverty in my life. And I remember coming off of the aeroplane and being hit, all of my emotions in one go, all of my senses were assaulted by, by the heat, by the colours, by the noise. Um, it was really late at night when we arrived and we went off to get some food. And we arrived at a place which was like, I don't know, like a Mexican equivalent of a Kentucky Fried Chicken kind of place. And we're waiting in the queue and I feel a tug on the back of my T-shirt like this. And I looked around And there was a little girl who must have been about, I guess she was around eight years old, but she looked a lot younger. 
She looked like she was maybe five, very malnourished. And all of her face had been really badly burnt. And um, I just remember kind of like trying to hide my shock at the moment. And um, she, she began to ask us for money. And our host with Youth with a Mission said, look, you can't, you can't give her any money because it's almost certain that her guardians, whether that was her parents or, or, or somebody else, would have done this to her uh, to cause people to respond, to evoke more emotion. Uh, and, and the money that she's taking will be to fuel their their drug habit or their or their drinking problem or whatever. Now, now, whether or not that was completely true, I'll never know. But we did what we could, the only thing that we felt that we could do in that moment. And we bought this beautiful little girl. We bought her like the equivalent of a, of a happy meal. And she sat with us and laughed and joked around and just for maybe half an hour had the opportunity to forget the horror of the world that was outside and to just enjoy being a little girl. And... Um, that experience, that experience completely messed me up. And it's still, as you can tell, it still messes me up now. I went back to the Youth with a Mission base and that night I didn't sleep a wink. I just found myself just crying out to God and saying, God, if there's anything you can do with my life to help, do something about this brokenness and this pain that, that the evil of this world inflicts on people, then I'll gladly give you my life to do something about it. And um, that little girl, she'll never know. She'll never know this side of eternity that, that that chance encounter and that moment changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. When I saw it and I saw it up close and it became something real, uh, all of the, all of the um, selfishness of those three years where I'd been like lost in drugs and alcohol and anorexia all came crashing down. And I just thought, God, I just want to do something, God. I, I want to do something. And she was a representative of, of just, just one of, of millions and millions around the world that are desperately crying out for help, that need us to stand up and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to make a difference. So just a couple, of, um, a couple of stats for you. So there's approximately 8 billion people in the world, 7,000 main languages, 16,542 people groups. So amazingly, this last century, Christianity has become the largest belief system in the world. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> like 32.29% of the population of planet Earth believe in one form or another that Jesus is the son of God and rose and died again, died and rose again for them. Isn't that amazing? Now, there may be huge amounts of differences of opinions within that company of believers, but that percentage is bigger than any other belief system in the world. It dwarfs atheism, agnosticism. It dwarfs absolutely everything else. The only other, atheism only accounts for 7% of the world. So I'm not saying that there isn't work to do, but compared to us, like, you know, it's like a tiny little group. So we need to stop acting so fearful and stop cowering in a corner because, because God's on the move. This last century where prayer has been mobilized, amazing things have happened. So the next group, Islam, 
is 24.3% of the world's population, but a lot of Islam is through, the, the growth of Islam has been through um, mainly high birth rates and also forced conversion in a certain kind of sectors of the world. So, but they're facing a huge internal crisis and fragmentation at the moment. There's extreme pressure within the Islamic world, both on the inside and from the outside. And we're starting to hear about so many amazing stories of people having dreams and meeting with Jesus and our friends that work in the refugee camps in Lebanon and Syria are seeing incredible through and amazing miracles happen. So I believe that God is on the move. And I actually believe that this decade is going to be a decade where we're going to see a mass turning to Christ within that that block of the world. It's like the last block of the world that is yet to see an incredible revival. So let's be the generation that sees that happen. Amen. So refugees at the moment, 21.3 million refugees. Um, this, this was from 2016. 65.3 million people have been forcibly displaced around the world through uh, civil wars, um, epidemics, all kinds of things like that. And so the refugee crisis is massive right now. Uh, human trafficking. Human trafficking has now surpassed drug smuggling as the most profitable business in the world. Present day slavery goes far beyond anything from the past days. Right now we're facing like a resurgence of awareness of the transatlantic slave trade, which is absolutely horrendous. And it is time for, uh, for the nations to not only repent of that, but also to bring restoration and restitution for that which happened. But the beginning has to be a recognition of repentance before that can happen. But what is going on right now, far, far, outweighs what happened in the past. Present day slavery goes way beyond. 40 million people at least are being trafficked into slavery around the world right now. Approximately 2 million people every year. There's a new 2 million people. Um, 100,000 in the UK alone. Uh, People trafficking is what fuels sex tourism, fuels pornography, fuels all of these different things that have become almost like hush hush, okay vices for people to just to just to do behind closed doors, but actually is fueling this terrible evil industry around the world. The needs are absolutely massive. There's so much that we need to be getting on with and doing. So where does all of this come from? How have we ended up getting to this place? There, is, there are broken systems that we are facing. And I just want to go into where I believe those broken systems come from. In Genesis 3, 8 to 19, it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord said, where are you? And mankind answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Classic guy, right? Classic guy. He's like, I'm going to blame you, God, and I'm going to blame my wife as well. And men have been doing it ever since, haven't they? We're so sorry to all of our sisters out there. We apologise. So, yeah, so she could have totally been like, you were supposed to look after the garden. If it wasn't for you, Adam, the snake wouldn't have even been here in the first place, right? So, but straight away, Adam blames her and blames God. And then God says, what is this that you have done? And 
Eve responds, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Oh man, I'd love to unpack that another, another day. But basically... God says, as a consequence of this, and because of that, you will turn towards your husband. God never, God never curses uh, the woman in this way. It's a consequence. But anyway, another day. Uh, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, say painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. Say thorns and thistles. Thanks, guys. Make me feel like I'm in a Pentecostal church. It's awesome. (laughs) You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, so this story, we see that there is... Uh, I wonder if you could go on to the next slide. So we can see... I did this is really small, so you might not be able to see it. But we can see, like, mankind has relational... Um, it has relational connection and wholeness in the garden in the beginning. Jewish people call this mystical idea shalom. You're sure you've all heard the word shalom. Uh, we often think of it as just referring to peace, but shalom goes way beyond just the idea of peace. The word shalom means essentially nothing missing, nothing broken, everything working in harmony, how it was always supposed to be. And so we see, so like Adam and Eve, they walk with God in the cool of the day, right? They have this, this relationship with God where there is nothing that kind of separates them at all. They have a great relationship with each other. I mean, they, 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 you don't hear about any domestic arguments going on in the garden uh, at this point they walk around together and everything's everything is just beautiful right they have this relationship with themselves and and everything just works great you don't hear about Adam sitting under one of the trees just thinking I just feel so I just feel so insecure right no, no he's like you know he's like this is awesome I'm naked and I am not ashamed right I mean everything's great in the garden and the ground produces everything that they need produces and I love that there's there's parts of the Genesis story where God's like okay I've given you the gold from this area and this and the wood from here and da, da, da. and you read that and you're like oh, that's a bit interesting why 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 does God talk about that it's because the garden of Eden was never supposed to be a static product it was always supposed to be a um, dynamic project it was supposed to be something that what began in the garden would one day envelop the whole of the planet and so God was saying I'm giving you the raw material now what are you going to do with it? And so they were like kids in a candy store where they could just take this stuff and like let their creativity and their imagination like go wild in this place. And they come to this moment where they're deceived and they essentially say, God, we don't want to do it your way. We, they swallow the lie, the same lie that the devil always gives, which is essentially presenting fiction as fact in a way that will make you question the goodness of God so that you then take matters into your own hands. That's what he always does. Let's face it, you know, just think back to the last time that you screwed up and and, and it will be because the enemy presented some kind of lie to you that you that you swallowed, right? That's what he always does. And that's what he did in this moment. And they essentially said, God, we're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it our way. And when that happens, everything begins to break. 
And so their relationship with God breaks. Their relationship with their self breaks. Their relationship with others breaks. And their relationship with the rest of creation breaks as well. Now, when their relationship with God broke, that was where the entrance of spiritual poverty came in. At that moment, we stop looking to God to be our answer and we stop depending on God. And what that does is that means that we have to find God somewhere else. And so either we become our own gods, cue atheism, cue all kinds of other uh, world beliefs, or something else has to become our God. Whether that is, whether that is uh, an idol that people bow, bow down to or whether it is an idol of money, wealth and power. Whatever it is, that those things, they become our gods. And that's where spiritual poverty comes in. That, that sense of wholeness, that sense of a connection to a higher, beautiful purpose broke in that moment. Their relationship with themselves broke in that moment. So at that point, they run and they hide, don't they? They make themselves coverings of fig leaves. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? Chafing, right? There's no fig leaf section in the lingerie section at Marks and Spencer's, right? When we try and hide and when we try and do things in our own strength, it's only going to cause us more pain, right? And so their relationship with themselves break. And that's where all of our psychological poverty, all of our physiological poverty came in. Their bodies began to break down. They began to die. Um, things that worked perfectly before stopped working in the way that they should. And that's where all of our, uh, all of our psychological issues, depressions, insecurities, all of, those, uh, all of those things came crashing in in that moment. Their relationship with one another breaks down. Eve's, Adam's like, it's Eve's fault. Eve's like, it's the serpent's fault. And their relationship with each other break down. And that's where all of our sociological poverty comes in. All of our wars and all of our rage and our envy and, and our desire for power and to get one up on each other. That all came in to the human condition in that moment. And then finally... And what is often forgotten and has often been tragically forgotten historically in the area of, of mission is that their relationship with the earth broke, didn't it? Their relationship with the earth itself broke down and God says, as a consequence of what you have done, where before it should have all produced, now it is going to be by the sweat of your brow and by hard labour, by toil. And it's going to produce thorn and thistle. What should have been a, a beautiful expression of your creativity is now going to be hard work and you're not going to enjoy it. And it's going to be difficult. And that is where our ecological and economic poverty all came crashing in. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, this is quite depressing, Joe. I mean, you know, like, this is like quite a bleak. This look, all looks quite bleak, all of this, right? Uh, but the good news is the reason why when Jesus came crashing on the scene, the very best title that could be given to what he was proclaiming was good news is because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of these relationships are healed. They all come back into their, they all come back into their proper place. So because of what Jesus has done, we can have relationship with God the Father again, right? We can have that, but there's now nothing in between me and God. He doesn't just love me. He actually likes me and he likes you as well. He loves hanging out with us and he wants to walk and talk with us again in the cool of the day. Beautiful, right? So our relationship with God is great again. If I allow that relationship, poverty goes away as well. And ultimately all of my physiological poverty will go away because I'm going to 
get a new body one day. And that new body isn't going to get fat when I eat like nice food. And, you know, it's going, we get, all of that is going to be dealt with. All of, my, um, all of my sociological poverty as well goes away because why now I don't live for myself. I, I, I've died to that nature. Now I want to live to see other people succeed. I want to live to see other people go far. It's not about how good I can be or what I can do. I've died to that. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. And we're all about that now, aren't we? And so all of that is dealt with. And also, you know, Romans 8 says that the creation itself is groaning and crying out for the sons of God to come into their inheritance. And what does that mean? I mean, that means in our Monday speech, all creation is basically waiting for us to get with the program and just realise who we are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are called to, to the, the Hebrew word is Abadah. We're called to steward this world. We're called to, um, we're called, called to, to, to take what has been broken and to see it healed, which is why whenever anybody tells you, like, as Christians, you know, we shouldn't be worried about, like, climate change and, well, we shouldn't be worried, but that we should be doing something about it because we, more than anybody else, should recognise recognize that we're stewards of this. This is, does not belong to us. It is a gift that God has put within our hands to see what we'll do with it. And we're called to stand up and be like, we're going to make, we're going to, we're going to bring this world back into its original design. It says, it says this in, uh, I think it's a bit further down on there. Yeah, in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Actually, let me just say this quite quickly. Steve Fickett said this, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all of its meanings. And he's quoting the rabbis when he says that. The absence of shalom. And we're called to bring that back again. Now it says this in Colossians. In Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Uh, well, this is just the, this is this is the beginning of that. It says the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things say all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile. Say reconcile. To himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That word reconcile means to bring back to its original design, to bring it back to how it was always supposed to be. That is the mission that you and I are called to. We're called to bring everything back to what it was always supposed to be until what began in a garden covers the planet. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Amen. That's every single last speck of the cosmos. Absolutely everything. You know, if you go out and the, 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 the seabed, there's no dry area, right? It's all drenched. I'm living to see this world drenched with the presence of God. How about you? Come on now. That's what you and I are called to do. And that is the, that is the mission that we've been, we've been given. And there's so, so much to do. Now, I reckon it'd be good to just take a little pause there and do a couple of questions. So... Before we go on and look about what might be some of the answers as to how we do that, I reckon just based on what we've just been talking about, in your groups, I'd love you to discuss what are some of the areas of brokenness that you see either in your own life or in your local community? How do those compare to the same kind of issues in the majority world? 
Um, and can you identify areas of greater prosperity in the four relational elements compared to in your local situation? And I'll explain what I mean by that just really briefly. You know, sometimes we can go out to, I don't know, a mission team. Uh, you see this all the time. A mission team will go somewhere and they'll have their T-shirts that are made up. Some of you may have even been on some of these kind of mission teams. And, you know, you go out and you'll be like, we're going to change the world in this next two weeks. We're going to like, we've arrived, the superheroes. We're here and we, you know, we're going to, I know we're going to build your community center and all of your problems are going to go away. And like that, that people will go with these kind of attitudes, right? We take... Pre-pandemic, we would usually take maybe like eight different teams to different countries around the world. And we fought very hard against that kind of attitude because every single time that we take people out on a team, they'll come back saying things along the lines of, I have received more than I could have ever given to the people that I've been out to. I've been impacted way more. They will spend time, uh, you, you know, we'll have devotions in the morning and they'll be in tears at the... Uh, the, 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 the courage and the presence of God that we see on different communities around the world. And why is that? It's because if poverty is, as I've just mentioned, a breakdown of shalom in all of those areas, what we see is that sometimes where we might be materially wealthier than other places, they may be much more sociologically wealthy than we are. I go to Africa and I've never met anybody that is lonely in Africa because they have this sense of community where everybody is with each other and they might not have anywhere near as much as we have. But you don't have somebody, you know, I, my, my wife's from Colombia. When she moved to England, it was the first time that she had ever heard the term depression. Because it just isn't really like, I mean, partly it's their culture and their character. They're very fun and, and full of life and, and things like that. Has anybody seen Encanto? It's great, isn't it? Amazing. So, so they don't really kind of have that same character. But what we see is that where we may be weak somewhere, other communities are strong. Where they might be weak, we might be strong. And the world is only healed when we come together and we begin to bring what we have to the people around us. And as we do that from a spirit of humility, that's where we all begin to change. That's where we all begin to see poverty really confronted. Okay, so that's what that last, maybe like locally as well. Just where do you see greater prosperity in those four relational elements compared to your situation? Is that good? So how do you do this, Charles? Do you just do it around? Majority world is a much more politically correct way of talking about the developing world. So countries that would be considered less, less materially wealthy. People used to talk about the third world, developing world, like we try to stay away from those things because sometimes like lots of countries are a bit way more developed than we are in some things because of like what I just said. Okay. Cool. So what, 10, 15, 15 minutes. Right. Should we carry on? Because I know time is running out. I, it's great to see all the discussion going on. Brilliant. I would I ask for feedback, but I don't, know, I don't think I'm going to have time if I do. So I better carry on. Um, so obviously there's huge needs going on around the world. Uh, a couple of other stats for you just quickly. Wealth distribution. Three wealthiest men in the world have more resources between them than the 60 poorest developing nations. But together, there's enough food to completely alleviate world hunger easily around the world. But every 16 seconds, someone dies of malnutrition. One in three Brits are considered to eat way more than necessary, me being one of them. 
As a nation, we spend more annually on rubbish bags than half the world spends on all of its goods put together. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? As a nation, we spend more annually on rubbish bags than half the world spends on all of its goods put together. As a nation, we spend the amount on ice cream in a year that it would take to provide clean water around the whole world. Yep. Our Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, they, like, amazing, right? Clean water. 12% of the world's population uses 80% of its water. There are more than 1 billion people without safe drinking water in the world. In the UK, we drink 26 billion litres of bottled water annually, which obviously adds to plastic pollution and all of that kind of stuff as well. Every day, the equivalent of, I'm sure you've heard this quote before, of around 25 jumbo jets full of children die because of a lack of clean drinking water. That's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Mission and justice are two sides of the same coin. You know, we often talk about that proverb, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him to fish, you feed him for life. It's not in the Bible. I've often heard people be like, as the good book says. It's not, it's not in the Bible. It's actually a Chinese proverb. And it sounds really nice. And like to a certain extent, it is true. We believe in empowerment uh, rather than creating a sense of dependency, 100%. But if I only teach somebody how to fish, but don't provide them with the resources, to fish, then all that I've done is created a more frustrated fisher person, right? So if I, and also if they're too sick to be able to go out and fish again, they're just going to be more frustrated. Now let's say that we deal with the issues of healthcare, we deal with the issues of them not having the ability to fish by providing them with some kind of like business opportunity or whatever, but then you taking the metaphor a step further, they go to fish and somebody's built a huge stinking great wall around the lake, again, they're just going to be more frustrated. And if we don't begin to confront the corrupt systems that allow poverty to be there in the first place, all we'll ever be doing is creating short-term solutions to the problems. We're just going to be putting out fires. We need to do something about the reason why poverty is there in the first place. Uh, Martin Luther King, absolute legend, one of his talks, he talks about, you know, sooner or later, somebody has to do something about the road to Jericho. We can't just keep on being good Samaritans and binding up the wounds of people. Somebody has to do something and stop there being those bandits on the road in the first place, right? We need to stand up and be a voice. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. We need to speak out. And like Sally said, you know, we, we have to do something in this moment. We can't just sit back and think, well, who am I? What difference can I make? The needs are too big. You've all heard that story about the, the kid who starts throwing starfish back into the, into the ocean and the, the coastline's just littered with starfish and he's just throwing them back into the ocean. And somebody comes along and says, what are you doing? That's not going to make any difference. So what, you, what, what difference is that going to make? And he picks up another starfish and he throws it into the water and he said, made a difference for that one. You know, don't ever believe the lie that you're too small to make a difference. Don't ever believe that lie. You know, Anita Roddick said, if you think that you're too small to make a difference, you've never spent a night in a room with a mosquito, right? <laughs> we can all do something. We're all called to step up and to do something. So what is the answer? Well, for us in Links International, 
we have five main areas of the work that we that we work into. Uh, we our vision, our mission is to be in it together, to connect people, to confront poverty, and to create potential. We work into around sixty different nations around the world, and there are five columns of the work that we do, and those are the areas of faith, health, business, education, and justice. And I know some of you have been on some trips with us in the past. We tap into all of those different areas because we believe that we can only begin to bring holistic solutions by impacting those different areas. Why? Because of what I was talking about before. The broken systems, the broken relationships, you have to deal with each of those different areas to actually begin to see people step into a place of wholeness. Now, for instance, in the area of faith, we'll work with churches around the world. We'll help to see churches plant out other churches, but we'll also help in the area of kind of mission strategy and um, and, and just developing their kind of processes with all of that. And that area of our work can be anything from going in on like just a one-off blessing to actually having a role in the apostolic direction of churches. And we work with around 200 different networks around the world, uh, which has been an absolute privilege to be able to to do that. You know, when I was talking about that, that nature of some places being considerably more prosperous than others in different uh, different elements of those, one of the things that we notice is that most of the places where we go have got so much more to teach us about spiritual prosperity and that, that, that relationship with God that, you know, we, we, need, we need to be receiving teams from them. And I love to see that one of the major missionary sending nations in our day is the nation of Brazil that have been through like incredible revival and they're sending missionaries around that are actually impacting and bringing fire into the churches. In fact, most about 50% of most of the churches in Spain and Portugal are made up of Latin Americans who have gone over there and who are breathing life into those churches. We need to see more of that happen. I, I really want to see that happen here in England. I want to see more and more people coming here because they've got so much to give us. So, so we're working to that area of faith. The area of health, we do a lot of um, community healthcare teams and what we do is we'll send people out and those people will go and they'll train up trainers to cascade the information out further. We have a program that we call the SHINE program that stands for sanitation, hygiene, immunization, nutrition and empowerment. In fact, everything we do has an element of empowerment to it because we don't believe in handouts, we believe in hand-ups. What we've seen is the, you know, the, the majority poor around the world have incredible talent, incredible creativity, incredible dignity, but often just need a little bit of help onto the first rung of the ladder. And so we want to help to do that and then to see you know, how far they can go in their own strength. And so we will train generally over about a two-year period um, healthcare teams, and then they'll go out into their villages and their communities, and they'll take that knowledge much, much further. And it's been phenomenal because we've seen about 90% of the issues that a lot of communities deal with in the area of health totally eradicated by that. So infant mortality rates, totally, uh, just completely turned around because of just simple training in hygiene and sanitation, things that we would just take for granted. Throughout the pandemic, that's been amazing because we've really helped people with just the simple things like hand washing and providing PPE and all of that kind of stuff. So that is a phenomenal part of our work. The area of business, 
We have on one end of the scale, we work with people to set up micro enterprise businesses. So small businesses, we provide, uh, we, we basically will train up a committee, a team to manage the loan recycle scheme. And they will also provide basic business training to the people out on the ground. I know like Rob, you've been out with us doing, um, doing training in Uganda. Uganda was one of the places where we cut our teeth on, on this. And in its heyday, the projects that we work with in Uganda were seeing around 400 new businesses start every single year in seven hubs around the country. They saw over 4,000 families come out of poverty and stay out of poverty through just simple loans. Generally, around 50 pounds the loan so the amount that we could easily spend going out one one evening was enough to change not only that family's life but because the money is recycled it then changes another person's life and then another and then each year it grows exponentially so that one gift that you know is it's just absolutely phenomenal what can happen and you know, I just recently got a story back from Malawi, a guy called German, who started a, a, he started a little tea stall, basically, where he was like kind of serving tea to, for people. Did so well that his tea stall then became like a tea and cake shop. Did so well that he then ended up having to provide work for two other people who didn't have any other work. So now there's three families that were all being looked after by German and his tea shop. And I, and, and I had the opportunity of visiting it just before the pandemic. And you go in and you get your, your cup of tea or your coffee. It's really good, actually, although they put loads of sugar in it. But like, really, really good. But then you get like this chunk of fresh bread. You know, like when you, you, you go in and you, the smell of fresh bread just hits you. Absolutely amazing. So it, I just love seeing what can happen with, with what is just relatively, feels like loaves and fishes. And yet God takes it and he, he does something miraculous with it. I'll never forget meeting Sarah in Uganda, and Sarah had started a business selling charcoal. In fact, you might, have, you might have met Sarah as well when, you, when you've been out there. She started a business selling charcoal. She'd go out to the rural areas, buy charcoal, take it into Kampala, sell it to her customers, and she was doing so well that loads of other people thought, I'm going to set up exactly the same business next door. And so she had like loads of people selling charcoal. And so the market was flooded. She could have thrown her hands up and just been like, what is the point of doing this? I was born poor. I'm going to die poor. Why do I even bother? But that's not what Sarah did. Sarah came back to us and she was like, Can I, will, you, will you allow me to take a larger loan? And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out into the rural areas and I'm going to buy large amounts of charcoal and I'm going to instead of selling it to our customers I'm going to sell it to all of the other charcoal sellers she went into wholesale like Sarah amazingly and do you know what today she doesn't buy and sell charcoal anymore do you know what she buys and sells property she buys and sells property she went from a place of not being able to feed clothe her children put them through education to now being this entrepreneur who's like in real estate in Uganda absolutely amazing so I love seeing that entrepreneurial spirit uh, arise in people so on one end of the scale we've got little businesses in Latin America in Africa in Asia even in the Middle East now as well we're just seeing thousands of families come out of poverty and stay out of poverty it's just awesome. But then on the other end of the scale, we like to help churches and organizations set up larger income generating projects so that they can cover the core costs of what they're doing. Most charities around the majority world will have to 
rely on giving from, uh, from the West and it's becoming increasingly difficult to get things like sponsorship for, for children going through education. So how much better would it be for us to come along and say, look, we'll raise the capital for you to set up a business that will bring in, in per- like perpetually, perpetually the money that you need to do what you feel called by God to do. So we've had the privilege of setting up tilapia fish farms, setting up internet cafes, setting up all kinds of different things around the world to cover the costs of the, the projects and what, they, they, what they're doing. One of my favourites is uh, uh, we set up a lychee farm and a fish farm in Thailand for an organisation that was rescuing girls out of the sex trade. And what they were finding is that a lot of these girls, without any other means to look after their families, would inevitably be pulled back in to the sex trade. And so they also were having to travel to the UK and to America to raise funds. We were like, we, we'd learned that it was a really lucrative business to have a tilapia fish farm. And so we said, look, we'll raise the capital. I think it was around 30K for the fish farm and for the lychee farm. And what we'll do is we'll set up, we'll do something clever and we'll set up an irrigation system so that it's all connected together, uh, which of course, we, we also set up this thing where it would have like, a, without going too much into the science of it, it had like a greenhouse effect on the um, tilapia fish farm that infused the water with nitrogen, which made the fish grow bigger and quicker. And so we set up this whole project and that project brought in around 80% of the funds that the organisation needs, but all but also, and even better, it provided opportunities for work for the girls that they were rescuing. So everyone's a winner. It's great. It was absolutely amazing. So we love that area of work. Education, we do lots of leadership training around the world, whether that's with local leaders, church leaders, uh, chiefs in chiefdoms in Africa, tribal leaders in the Amazon. We do loads of that because we believe that everything rises and falls on leadership. So we want to see leaders uh, equipped the very best way that they can be. Uh, education as well is so, so important. You see around the majority world that they have such a value for education. They really want to their children to be in school because they know that that's their, that's their way out. And so we want to provide much more innovative ways of bringing education. Most of our partners have got some kind of school that they're running. And so we want to help them to not just carry on, you know, that rote learning, but we want them to have a much more holistic way of teaching. And then finally, that area of justice. We find that so often a lot of the communities that we are working with are exploited, um, don't know what their rights are. Often they, 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 the, the poverty that they're living in is not of their own fault or making at all. We work with a tribe called the Waiju Indian tribe on the northern coast of Colombia. They have been massively exploited by the government, by large businesses. There's a, one of the world's largest coal mines, El Cerejón, is in that area. Um, and a deal that Margaret Thatcher made with Colombia many years ago basically has pushed them off of their land, polluted all of their water streams. Uh, absolutely horrendous what they've gone through. We've helped them. We've advocated for them uh, to earn the right to be able to build wells and to receive education and all kinds of things like that. We believe that we're called to pick a fight, right? We need to, and, and we can't pick every fight, but I believe that we're called to, to make a difference in that way. So those are the five areas that we work specifically into. And like I say, we've had the amazing privilege of working to about 60 different countries around the world. And it's just amazing what happens when you step out into these opportunities. Jesus said, 
you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to notice that he said and in all of those. He didn't say you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria. He didn't say you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria or to the ends of the world. No, he said all of those things, right? We are called to be a witness in our Jerusalem, uh, whether that's right here for you or, or elsewhere, your Judea, Samaria, the further afield. So let's say like locally, nationally, but also internationally as well. C.T. Studd, who was an incredible cricketer who turned missionary back in the beginning of the last century, said this. He said that the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. You know, some of them can kind of think, oh, you know, I'd be really bold for God if I was like in a tribe somewhere on the other side of the world. That's where, you know, I pray for the sick then, definitely. Or I do this, I do that there. But no, 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 God's like, if you're not doing it where you are right now, you're not going to do it there either. You have to, we have to start at home as well. We have to start here. But also, it is also true, like with the example that I gave you where I met that girl in Mexico, sometimes it's when we step out, out of our comfort zone. And when we go into those places, that God awakens something within us and God stirs something up within us. So we are massive believers in giving people an opportunity and exposure to these things. As a family, we've had the amazing privilege of being able to travel to lots of different places. Obviously, my wife's Colombian. Our third son was born in Colombia when we were out there working, where we planted a church and various projects there. My son, Luca, um, when he went into secondary school, into year seven, we, together in conversation, we made a decision. He, he wanted to like be homeschooled for a year so that he could travel with me. So Luca, I wonder if you could just come and just briefly, look how, look how happy he is. Look, at, look how happy he is to do this. Just... Um... <laughs> how old were you then? Um... Year seven would have been... 12, 11. 12, 11, yeah. So just, just say like, where you went, what you experienced, and like, what kind of impact it made on you. Um, hello, I'm Luca. Um, I went to Uganda, Lebanon, and India. And it was, like, it was really cool, cool because when you hear about traveling, for example, uh, you don't like, they say, oh, it was life-changing, and you get to learn about other cultures and stuff, but you never actually experience it. But when I traveled, I got to see it with my own eyes. So it was like, and it was so different from here in the UK where we get all this, the help, um, everyone's more like f with financial, economic, all that's so different. So you, it's like very different and you have to like get your head around it. And yes, that's is pretty much it. Amazing. Thanks, Luca. Um, I'll never forget when, uh, when we were in India, we were praying in this little kind of like, um, little, it's like a house church movement. And um, they call them house churches, but like some of these house churches have got like 400 people in them. And we were in this particular one, which is like up on a roof. And there were all of these, there were like a bunch of people started kind of manifesting demonic spirits. And Luca's there and he's praying for them and he's like casting out demons. It was amazing, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. 
So I'm a real strong believer in exposing your kids to that, that kind of stuff, for getting, the, getting them to see it and getting being involved in it and just it being part of, part of life. So the way that we work here in the UK is we'll connect with, we, we believe in partnership. We believe that we are in it together. We don't want to just, like, a lot of charities, they're saying, and they say it in a really nice way, Come and help us do what we are called to do. Uh, to give us your money, um, like give us your support, and we'll go and do it. We don't want to do that in links. We, we're not really interested in doing that. I mean, don't, I'm not stupid. If you know, someone gets their checkbook out, I'm not going no, to not take it. But we want to turn the whole thing on its head and say, what do you dream about doing? What is it that God's given you to do? How can we help you roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty, get out there and do something that will genuinely make a difference? Whether that's as a church, whether that's as individuals, whether that is as a business. We have a number of different like corporate partners that work with us, but we do it that way around. We basically want to give people an opportunity to 100% be a part of the work that we are doing. So so the offer is there, even like Proximity Church. If we can help, we're not in this, you know, we're not about building our empire. We're about building the kingdom of God. And we, we believe that when we join together, amazing things can happen, right? So that's what we're all about. And so I just want to encourage you to think, what is it that God is calling you to right now? What is he calling you to? Not what is he calling Oxfam, Tier Fund? What is he calling Links to do? What is he calling you to do right now? Because you are sent you are called Jesus said in the same way as the father sent me so I send you and he used the term apostolos where we get the word apostolic from and it basically the that term apostolic means to create culture to change the atmosphere to bring in the culture of heaven where has God called you to be an influencer what sphere of influence are you called into to bring, begin to bring heaven to the earth that you inhabit to begin to bring heaven to your workplace to begin to bring heaven to to um, Stanford La Hope to begin to bring heaven to whatever it might be how can you begin to shine in that place so we've got a couple more questions sorry I will stop talking before Jesus comes back because I know it's time so where do you feel a particular inclination towards those five areas mentioned and why how can we ensure that we're promoting holistic solutions from a place of humility and mutual blessing and support? And how could you engage as a church, business, school or individual to engage and inspire others around you to join the adventure? Ten minutes. Can we do that? Brilliant. Amazing. Great. Again, see lots of discussion. So you might be thinking, OK, this is great. What can I do? What can I practically do right now? Well, there's a number of things that we can obviously all do. And they, just to categorize, pull them into just, it's just three simple categories, I'd say that we can all pray, we can all give, and we can all go in one way or another. So if you want some good resources to pray for the issues going on around the world, I'd definitely highlight... Um, Operation World is a brilliant app that you can put on your phone. Every day it will highlight a different country and the needs in that country. Brilliant, really good. By the end of the year, you prayed for the whole world um, and also got a lot of good knowledge around kind of geography and issues going on around the world as well, which is brilliant. Another great one is the Joshua Project. Uh, there's still many, many tribes around the world that are still considered either unreached or hardly reached and the Joshua Project focuses on a different one of those people groups every single day 
uh, of the year. Again, absolutely fantastic thing to add to your to your prayer time. Brilliant. Um, uh, so, and obviously, like with giving, you know, giving to your church, your church, if you're not already tithing, I would 100% encourage you, tithe to your church because through your church, if everybody does that, your church can do so much more in your local community, can do so much more. Give to organizations that are doing stuff around the world. You know, you might feel like I can't go, but I can put something in. And don't ever feel like, don't ever feel like your loaves and fish isn't enough. All of that compounds and creates uh, a lot of different possibilities. But also, like, I'm so glad to be able to say we can go again as well. Not only locally, like, you know, and be able to do stuff. We don't have to be quarantining and behind closed doors. But we can go to other nations as well. We can go and we can have that uh, incredible relationship building opportunity where we can go into places. And, and in links, we're looking at opportunities for this year. But certainly we've got a new website coming out in a month's time and a whole rebrand and we'll have all of our trips for 2023 on there. Massively encourage you if you'd be interested in, in coming on one of our trips, but also if Proximity ever wanted us to help you with um, your mission strategy and help you to manage a trip somewhere with some of the contacts that you already have, we'd love to do that. So I just encourage you, pray, give, go. We're, we're called to make a difference. So let's let make this year a year of awakening, a year of awakening for us locally in our Jerusalem, for us nationally in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, Samaria, and also internationally to the ends of the earth. May this be a year where we see more than ever the glory of the Lord covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. Amen. So Lord God, I just thank you so much for this amazing community. I thank you, God, for all that you're doing within them. I thank you for what you're stirring up, Lord. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would take um, any words that have come from you and that you would confirm them with signs and wonders following, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your rain on any seeds that have been sown and that it would continue to grow. I just pray for anybody who's feeling that stirring right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to just give them no rest. Keep on speaking to them. Keep on inspiring them. Keep on stirring up their hearts and giving them direction, God, into what you have next. And over this whole community, over this church, Lord God, I just pray that this would be such a year of adventure in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thanks for listening.